Hiya and welcome to another episode of The Jewel Case with me, John Darcy. You might be listening on Lisburn's 98 FM or you could be listening on Bangor FM or alternatively on FM 105 in Downpatrick. If you're an FM user, you could also be, you know, one of those millennials in the digital era listening on the podcast. You know, you can listen to The Jewel Case on your iPod, on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Thejewelcase.johndarcy.com for all of your old episodes to catch up. We've had cheesemakers, wrestlers, skateboarders, local musicians, local artists, playwrights, authors, you name it. And tonight we have a local band very dear to my heart. They have just reformed after quite a long hiatus. I've joined them in their practice room, which is actually a crash filled with toys and they've shoved all the other toys into the corners they set up their toys which is a drum kit and some guitars and some amplifiers it's the remains of youth hi guys hey how's it going hey john the remains of youth are back together their first show back is going to be in lavery's back bar at the thin air throwdown on tuesday the 11th of october so here with me tonight i've got handy hey there adam sherlow hi john andy melville how's it going and new to the band, Chris McCurry. Hey, how you doing? So for, for listeners to the programme, if you're a, a sort of early noughties, Northern Irish music head, Remains of Youth have a big place in your heart. But uh, maybe if you're new to the sort of local music scene, maybe 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 you don't actually know about these guys at all. You know, guys, I, you've probably feel my pain because sometimes people don't know who I am <laughs> when I go to a gig like some of these younger singer-songwriters don't really know who I am. Have you, have you encountered this problem before? Sometimes I don't know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> what happened originally? We need to sort of we need to sort of tell tell the story. We were essentially a school band, um, friends at school, got together playing gigs. Yeah, maybe at, at like fifteen or sixteen, maybe even possibly slightly younger than that. Um, Releasing homemade demos in our bedroom, and I guess it was when we got to university that we got a little bit more serious about things and uh, recorded our own sort of album. Uh, again, sort of, it was a very rough and ready uh, kind of punk rock album that we recorded at yeah. home, and um, started getting some good support slots and things around Belfast. Um, but I think it was just as towards the end of uni that we we went off in different directions and went off to form different bands and things. And Andy's had a fairly prolific um, number of bands that he's gone through in yes, recent we'll, years. Yes, we'll get into this. this is, cause there's, yeah, I want to talk about the downtime as well between. So let's take it right back because you said you sort of started in school. The first gig I ever played in Belfast was at the front page bar and I was supporting you guys who I didn't know. It was like one of those, do you remember the guy, the beard? Ian, 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 Ian Pulford. Pulford, the beard. Yes. Shout out Ian Pulford. Shout out to Big Ian. Yes. Where is he now? He's working uh, as a, f- I think he's a financial uh, no, he's advisor not. guy. Yeah, Honestly, yeah. What? He, he turned up on Facebook last week just to tell everybody <laughs> he's doing great. Unbelievable. <laughs> I love that. People just coming online. I'm, I'm doing all right, everybody. It's the uh, modern equivalent of like 10 years ago, somebody would have put a post up on Facebook saying, has anybody seen the beard? Because he hadn't been seen <laughs> the yeah, yeah, days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think one in every two of our gigs back at that stage was at the front page. So we were like, school, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Like, um, Thanks to Ian for for putting us on so much because we already forged playing, you know, sort of live performance and gig confidence. Like when we we're 16, 17, cutting our, our teeth in the, 
And they also put out those compilation CDs as well, where yeah. there'd be like sort of a track from right. every local band. You can still find it. them in most good charity shops. Or in John Darcy's house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think I've got three volumes of that. And I love that because it had like Element, Wonderful Toys. Any, any suggestions of your favorite local bands from that era? Yakuza. Oh, yeah. Yakuza, yeah, yeah, for that post-hardcore. Like Deboners. Mm. Yeah, and Kowalski were on one of those. I think I had one of those which Kowalski were on as well because we played... I think the first time with Kowalski, it might have been at the front page as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Gadgie as well. I think yeah. we're Gadgie, although I'm not sure if they, they were so short-lived, so <coughs> yeah. it shone so brightly. I don't know if they ever played the front <laughs> they page. They didn't know how to play the front page. No. Just like. <laughs> so I arrived in and uh, I probably didn't really know anything about like music at this stage. I'd probably only played a couple of gigs and uh, my sound check was probably littered with, I believe it was in fact, you know, just feedback of me trying to work out how to get an amplifier on a stage and that sort of thing. But there was a very encouraging uh, group of young men who were like, you know, sort of supportive. And then whenever I got off stage and we were chatting in between, I believe, I think it was you, Andy, I was chatting to. Yeah, just the most, most friendly person I'd had ever met in music at that stage. What's happened? Uh, I know what happened, Andy. <laughs> Where did it all go? <laughs> Uh, but so that what stage was that in your sort of musical development? How long had you been a band at that stage? Well, I th- I thought we'd hit the pinnacle because we'd, we'd like um, I think we just played the Empire about that stage. We like su- managed to get a support slot with Stiff Little Fingers through BBC Ulster Radio, and we got paid a hundred pounds, <gasps> which seemed a, like a fortune. And a six pack of Heineken. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I can still and, remember him counting the twenties. <laughs> visibly shocked because so, uh, the gigs we did in Belfast at the time were quite often like uh, would have been door splits. Yeah. And if there wasn't many people there, like I do remember a night that we maybe got. Cause I remember getting like an odd number of chains. Like it was one pound forty or one pound sixty personally. You know, there comes a night when we got like seven pounds as a band or something like that. You that, know? So, that was one of those front page shows. Like Ian would go around with a like a an empty glass, glass of yeah, harp. Yeah, three quid or something. He was like, there'd be like five quid. bands, like sort of be 25 band members and like five punters. Yeah. But he never, I, mean, I don't think he ever took money, which is what was so good. You know, he, he gave the money back yeah. to the bands, yeah. even if it was just Absolutely. a gesture, it was still a good thing. Um, so the, uh, we did that gig at the Empire. That was like, that seemed like a... Although it wasn't much money, it seemed it was it was new to us in terms of like mm-hmm. uh, that sort of exposure and playing to that many people as well. It didn't come about again for quite a number of years. Something of that state, you know. Well, that was one of our first gigs as well. So we were kind of thrown in at the deep end. We'd only played our own couple of self-organized shows in Hollywood. At, at no, we played. I think we played a couple more in Belfast before that. Um, but it was one of our it was one of the very early ones. show for us, and it was quite a big show for and that. Were you, early did you recorded anything at this stage? Yeah, I think that's EPs. how we got that uh, thing. Was through one of our EPs that we'd done. So I think when we did when we played with you at the front page, I think I mean that would have been pretty early on in the band's existence because I think the, some of the front page gigs dried up a bit after we got university. Mm. But so we were still being at school, maybe seventeen, eighteen, or something at the time, and maybe did the Stiff Little Fingers gig a little before that. Um, but we were still in that, in, in my memory anyway, of being that sort of period of being 15 to maybe 17, 18, it, it sort of seems to melt together to me. We seem yeah. very young. <laughs> <laughs> I think the first release that I got was the album, the full on album, but yeah. maybe there was like EPs before that. Or there was about five or six EPs. Oh, wow. <laughs> I think like every, yeah. every summer and sort of like uh, Christmas, Christmas yeah. like yeah. Adam's brother, Ryan, would be back in, in town, um, back from York. Yeah. And he had his little like Fostex multi-track recorder and he just like spent a couple of days with us for like recording 
two or three yeah. or four songs. Yeah, it was our way really of just hanging out and having a really good time together. We'd have like uh, pitch a tent in the back garden and sleep over and mess about, and <laughs> it was just our way of sort of hanging out as a band and getting to know each other more. Again. Well, I have some tracks from the album Out of yeah. Nothing, yeah. Nothing Comes. What would you like to hear? Well, probably have um, listened to this in quite a while, so. Uh, <laughs> Um, that's K- a hard Kevin, was always really good. I, I, I kind of, I guess, I wasn't involved with the recording of it at all, but I, I did play a couple of shows around that period. Um, I really liked Kevin, and I really liked Tata Tat was the other one that were kind of big numbers yeah, for me. I suppose go for Kevin. Yeah. So this is like this is early brackets the close brackets remains yeah. of youth. Kevin yeah. <laughs> from the album Out of Nothing, Nothing Comes. <laughs> Which, which like would be like not understandable to people now is that they're just it wasn't very easy to record music in Belfast then there was yeah. two places maybe three that you could that you could record and they were really expensive for like for us so when there was an opportunity to record even ourselves like that's what, just what we did because it was it was just what it was the only option like you didn't really give consideration even at the age of like 17, 18 going to like a reasonably priced place if there was one it was just like completely out of our price bracket. We just, you know, we're yeah. Just but I mean, I just mean like now people kids. can record music so easily, mm. and people will do their own thing or bring someone in with some good mics, and if they've got a Mac yeah. and Pro Tools, they can make something happen. Whereas yeah. like we had a digital eight track, and like that was it. There mm. was no other way or means for us to record. And yeah, but like when I met you guys and you had the album done. I just thought that was just like a superhuman fate. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine. No, I couldn't imagine how to do it. Like I, I hadn't, I don't think I'd been in a proper studio by this point. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you guys had this album and it was a whole thing and it sounded like real music. To me, that was absolutely unbelievable. And then to hear later on that you actually did it yourselves and then 10 years later did still really like how it sounds is absolutely incredible, I think. I'd spoken like a true fan. <laughs> <laughs> I should clarify, yes, that Chris McCory, who was just on mic there, wasn't actually in Remains of Youth back in the day. Well, I was. I was for three oh, shows. For three shows. For three but who, shows. Who, was the, well, who was the main bassist then? There, at that point, there was no main bassist, really. I actually was think there? Chris was playing guitar at those shows. Was. I was yeah. playing a combination of bass and guitar okay. because you already had a bass player who knew half the songs. Okay. Right. I learned the other songs. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then it was, it was Steve Ebbinghouse who was playing yes. bass. And then the, the songs that he knew to play bass, I would give him my bass and then we'd do a three guitar thing. 
for right. the gigs. So that was that was what we did around that time. And did you do that guitar reach around thing where one person <laughs> like you know play the other parts? There, there, the other. There's absolutely no reach arounds happening. <laughs> Time. It's like the you know like the Santana guitar stand that sits in like just that by itself. No, we didn't do that. No, it was very. Yes, that's what I'm thinking. It was very rudimentary. It uh, was it was pretty DIY even at the time with the gigs because we were getting offers of shows and we were going and doing them, but we didn't put thought into maybe how it might how complicated it might have been to take six people and swap people on and off stage mm-hmm. for various things. Like it just it was just kind of happening, and we had we had just lost our sort of main bass player and we were just trying to find ways to keep gigging and doing shows. Yeah. And so a few people were helping us out over that maybe one or one year period or something maybe until Gareth yeah. joined, one or two year mm-hmm. period um, until until uh, another guy joined and then became a more steady lineup when we were at university. The Scotty. Yes, Gareth yeah. Scott. Yeah, Scotty yeah. Had actually, we played a gig with Coda at Menagerie. Um, it was the first time Scotty had seen us play and I think we played that show without a bassist. What was that um, not when I met you guys? Yeah, I think. that's probably where the whole conversation started because I saw you and thought it was amazing, and we were we all had a really good conversation about it. But you didn't have a bass player. Yeah, that's probably Scotty got in contact shortly after that. Oh wow! I think the night we all met was like a Remains of Youth Jedi Jane and Coda show at, <gasps> at Menagerie. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, and then you're that's right. That's the first time I saw you play, and I was just like. <laughs> Well, and then there's, there's yeah, I do still remember that. Yeah. Quite this is the point where it all feelings. kind of converged, where like Andy joined Jedi Jane, and then Scotty joined Remains of Youth, and then Adam joined Coda. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> Converge were playing too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what would you? This was a, like I guess a little pocket of Northern Irish music around that same sort of post-hardcore genre. What were mm. you guys listening to, both like locally and you know? around the world at that time that was sort of making you think oh I, I should be playing this sort of music it's the early 2000s it was all kind of jet plane landing million dead hundred reasons there was a really vibrant UK scene at that time mm. and we kind of felt that we were uh, playing that style of music but um, you guys had also got really into a lot of bands from Discord Records as well yeah and that was, a, me, huge, was, that was like, a huge thing because mm. that was new to me I, I mean until you guys introduced me to that and it was also noticeable that when we went to play some shows, some people would come up and name check Discord bands that we sounded like. Um, and, and that, that was at a time when, you know, Discord bands seemed to be playing here a lot more regularly. Yeah, like you, you, know, we, you were still around. And we saw Hoover that. at Pavilion. Yeah. Um, um, and I think from that, you know, there was that element of uh, Discord kind of angsty punk sound that we, we had. And that's, I think, why we got a support slot with Lacquette, who were an Italian sort of screamo band at the time. Uh, and we played with who's the other really noisy band? We, we played, played with, with some really brilliant. noisy touring bands. <laughs> like it seemed to be, if there was an incredibly noisy experimental band playing, it was just like we'd be ruled out before Albatross to play. That was the one they were. Uh, There's quite a, a strong kind of touring scene around that time of of bands who would be coming over from Europe or whatever would be playing Belfast of that kind of ilk yeah. in a kind of DIY format, I suppose. So those gigs were were we there. had ordinary days. Yeah. We were you know promoting and putting on a lot of those mm. more obscure shows so yeah, there's a lot of cool promoters and a lot of cool bands like I even remember at school listening to Element quite a bit who then became In Case, in case of, of Fire, fire yeah. but like even like, like that was really cool but younger listened to them and like they were great live as well and there was a lot of great bands that were playing locally it, I mean it would just seem to be a regular thing you could do a show and meet some new people who were playing interesting music I mean there was a lot of bands I mean there was just so many bands not everyone would have been to our taste wouldn't say, but uh, <laughs> there was a lot of great bands. I mean, that was the thing about Belfast at that time. There was so much happening in music and so many different bands. So after that first album, what was the sort of like landscape for you? Did you do another album? 
or after that, a couple of EPs. Or? It was that was when we um, sort of ventured into the, the recording studio world, and the next thing we recorded was at Blue Room Studios with Pete Pratt. Oh yeah, uh, so that was when we did our. Uh, we actually went to him a number of times, but from those recording sessions, we um, have a five-track EP called "You Missed the Full Picture." Which would have been released around 2006, 2007, I 2007, think. I think, yeah. Um, and that was the first proper kind of studio recorded release that we'd, we'd, we'd brought out. Um, Although to keep costs down, we, we did like um, retract it all live. So I think really adds to the, the sound of it. So You know what, guys? I'm prepared. I have some tracks from you haven't seen the full picture. Am I allowed to say I have a favourite Remains of East song? Totally, okay. totally. Absolutely Set, set Low. <laughs> this is Set Low from You Haven't Seen the Full Picture. I suppose for us from some of the stuff we had been doing before because there was definitely a phase like right after school when we were Andy was sort of having a big hand in writing a lot of the riffs that we did a, a lot of the stuff live it was it was quite discordant like Adam started maybe just singing a lot of the time and we not playing so much guitar so we had that phase it was incredibly noisy like shows and quite probably experimental for us what we were trying to do and then there was a phase after that when once Gareth had, had sort of got more established in the band um, as a bass player that we then moved into Adam playing more guitar again. And like, I assume it was the sort of music that you guys were more listening My, to yeah. at this time. I'm, I'm, then, I started listening to a lot more atmospheric, kind of post-rock. Hmm. Appleseed Cast at the time were a huge influence when I was writing stuff for this EP. But bands like um, Jennifer Forever, Minus the Bear, hmm. uh, Explosions in the Sky even, yeah, yeah. you know, there's yeah. a lot of slower um much more um 
atmospheric, intense kind of music that I was listening to. I was getting more kind of kicks out of that than the, the noisy, shouty stuff at that okay. at that point. So. so that probably explains why that EP then came out like that on a song like Set Low, which would have been really different to anything we were doing maybe a year or two previously to that, you know, so. It's sort of your mature period. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like I think when when Gareth joined, there was definitely like uh, I noticed, um, especially with Michael, like a real step up in um, in the like uh, in the song in the songwriting. Um, uh, just just like helping sculpt the the way the songs went. Like me and Adam would generally bring like a riff or a couple of ideas, and Michael and Gareth in combination would would help. Like you know. Um, felt like our first proper band you know recordings and that we were previously as you said it was i would write a song you'd write a song in the early days yeah and that was it whereas this was the first ep where we were all playing quite a a large part in the songwriting process yeah and bouncing ideas off each other so i suppose yeah i mean with 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 michael and gareth starting to chip in ideas where the song could go that just like a catalyst everyone starting Mm. to like, like Really to me, that, where yeah, the song to me that is all at the time we were practicing in the uh, alternative Ulster basement. Oh yeah, uh, and that's great. where all the kind of ideas were. <laughs> yeah, and it ended up we, we recorded the um, video to Setlo was in that in that basement. Um, part part of that was being about as you say, John was just about being a bit older and understanding maybe how songs actually could be written and structured uh-huh. maybe differently as opposed to just like riff and then another riff and then another riff and then another riff. <laughs> And never resolving, like that we just uh, that was cool, and I think we enjoyed doing that. But we probably just have more ideas about like um, maybe how we structured a song as a band and how we kind of sculpted it, yeah. uh, and we maybe took longer over writing them, but then they it, it kind of worked as a vibe for that EP. What sort of age are you? Sorry, when this EP was out, twenty twenty one, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And is this sort of near then? Like after this, is this sort of near the end of that first phase of the band? Yeah. Yeah, we did a lot of shows, it feels like, on the back of that EP. Um, but we were, at the same time, we were much more careful about the shows we played. We didn't uh-huh. want to um, sort of stagnant, become stagnant. Um, so Because you could have played in Belfast probably every uh, other week. At that <laughs> stage, almost, there were so many yeah. games on. So we, we played just... a couple of really good radar shows, which I remember with Kowals- I remember playing with Kowalski. Uh, Radar and at Auntie Annie's and they were two really special gigs and then the last gig we played was Black Box with Two Door Cinema Club and Steer Clear and Mojo Fury and yeah that was oh fun. wow that was all my yesterdays yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and I guess for me that was my favourite show that I'd ever played but I didn't know at the time but that was uh, would actually be our last show <laughs> right so what um, so what happened then I don't really know it just kind of we I mean, went around off in this time, directions. like where you were in Coda at this, at this I point. I was in Coda at this so point as well, Gareth. and that became a lot more demanding. And right. Coda had a lot more, um, you know, Julianne was a real driving force in that band at getting us shows over in, in England and things like that. So it was taking up a lot of my time. And I was at uni doing a law degree as well, which was uh, fairly <laughs> relentless. So um, I remember finding it t- tough to um, commit to, to Remains Youth to the, to the same level I had done before. 
Um, and I think we were all starting because I know Andy and, and was was doing the Jedi Jane stuff around that well, time as well. Jedi Jane had finished by yeah. this point. We'd we'd wound down, and yeah. I was in cutaways at this <laughs> point actually. <laughs> so, oh, I remember Chris McCoy trying was to in deflect some of the blame. There. <laughs> there may be there may be different versions of this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is the juicy bit. Yeah. This is the juicy bit of the podcast. I, I, partic- I actually remember having this. Here, Andy, you just come closer to the mic. Here, this is important. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I remember having a conversation with you on the phone one time. I think I just found out you you joined Coda. Here we um, go. And I rang straight away. <laughs> this is after my departure from Coda, actually. And Adam was my my replacement. Yeah. Super sub. So um, it's all coming back to me now, actually. I think I remember this phone call. <laughs> for for I can't remember the circumstances, but I Jedi Jane hadn't quite come to an end, but I, I knew it was. We were and kind of fizzling out slowly. Yeah. I wish I had a Jedi Jane slowly track actually brightly. to play for this. That would have been great. Fantastic band. I love great Jedi band. Jane. Really, and really I, I tried to like um I just remember trying to plead with you not to join Coda I was going to leave Jedi Jane unless it's like concentrating on Remains of Youth but you'd already I think I think you'd already totally committed to it in your mind and mm. like you would sort of seen Jedi Jane be really busy and maybe lost belief that I was committed to what was happening to Remains of Youth so I'd say we uh, probably weren't hanging out as much as well at that stage yeah, that's probably true. toward the end of university where everyone's starting to because Degrees or my degree was just about to finish, as was probably yours as well. And people were just starting to move, maybe in in, mm-hmm. in different directions. And I remember there was just a whole load of things came to an end. Like we'd done the EP, we'd done loads of shows. Um, we had sort of semi-written some new songs, but they weren't quite finished or ready to do mm-hmm. anything with. The AU basement where we used to practice stopped being a thing, so we had to find someone mm-hmm. new to practice. And there was a whole load of things with guys joining different bands that it just. There was never a discussion about it, but there was def- a definite sort of a lot of things happened at once, and then yeah. we just sort of stopped playing. I distinctly remember having two rehearsals after yes. the, the AU yes. basement. Um, I come to an end, and in, in in Scotty's apartment. Yes, and for whatever reason, like the next week, we just couldn't find a night that we're all free together, and then the next week we couldn't find. A night, and then all of a sudden, no one yeah. really got in contact with each other anymore to see if they were oh, free. Wow. And that, I, that was that. I remember really that right? the, the moment that I knew that it was no longer going to be a thing in the short term. Anyway, was BBC ATL had been in touch, and I think it was back in the days of MySpace. They contacted yeah. our MySpace, and I'd seen the message about uh, coming in and doing a session with them. So uh, I was like, "Great, you know, let's go and do a session with BBC." And for whatever reason, getting the four of us on the same day of the week to go to agree, you know, a time that we could go in. It just, we couldn't get a date. And you just got the sense, I think, at that stage that not anyone's fault, but everyone had different priorities and different mm. things that they were doing at the time. And we, we, I just couldn't get it organized. So I think we just said, sorry, not free, which <laughs> I remember thinking, I, I can't believe I'm having to say this because it would have been a fun thing to do, you know. Yeah. But, uh, and then after that, I think I actively, I, I stopped actively trying to kind of, chase things and and then everyone was busy so how did people contact each other because at this these days it's all like whatsapp group message and and definitely it was definitely bebo what's the phone andy's andy's house from my parents house (laughs) (laughs) i can still almost remember his his landline number no (laughs) i seem to remember like thousands upon thousands of group emails that was just kind of the way or, or you know like kind of odd text but you, you couldn't do like a group text like you could do now you'd have to yeah. do it it'd be terrible mm. Mm. coming back to you in all these different threads <laughs> yeah. yeah and there was no uh, 100 emoji <laughs> no emojis just no emojis had to do so your old true. emoticons you know old school style that's right 
So at this stage, then, Hendy, what what were you up to? Because you were you had your sort of own thing. You were finishing up your studies and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. I I really didn't do very much musically after that for a couple of years. Um, I think I had done pretty much from we must have been in fourth form, pretty solid for that sort of whatever that was six seven years. And I think once once realized that everyone else got quite busy with things, I just didn't really think about it much. But I just maybe took a bit of a break mm. um, and did a lot of things for a while. And I never, I never gave it too much thought. It was only once the other guys were kind of really up and going with regular gigs with other bands. Then I kind of realized I missed playing. Yeah. But at the time, I just had sort of think, sort of subconsciously decided to take a bit of a break from playing. So. And would you, you, you were saying earlier that uh, there was some like influences of the other guys would bring into the band. I mean, the, the classic trope is that the drummer has like a slightly different music taste to all the other guys in the band or like, you know, that thing of like, you've got a hip hop drummer or something, he's wearing a funny hat. But what, like, how would you define your music taste? Um, Personally? Probably pretty eclectic, like in terms of, so I was getting introduced to bands probably via Adam and Andy that I would never have listened to otherwise. So Discord Records was introduced to me by those guys. And I don't know if I would have stumbled across that otherwise. You know, it was just that was kind of how I found out about those bands. So I probably was there's a little bit of direct influence from that, uh, from those guys. And then outside of that, I probably at school was probably listening to bands like Idlewild and REM quite a lot. And then I got into Springsteen and stuff quite a bit as well. So I suppose like that, that was stuff that I was naturally listening to, but then I did kind of get into some of the Discord stuff as well. And because the music we were playing, always enjoyed bands that got the drive in and everything as mm. well. So, but that was that was probably as much of an influence on me as it, as it was, you know, sort of like, like those guys were influencing my music taste probably as yeah. much, and the band was as much as the other way around, you know. And actually tonight, because I I sent you out a wee message um, to sort of get the feelers of some music you'd like to play for you know for the listeners to get a bit of a sense of your taste and stuff. And the feedback was that you just couldn't really agree on any <laughs> like any any one like artist or any songs like together together. So we've got like a little track from each of you. So what what is your track that you're going to share with us? My track is Jimmy World. Uh, Believe in what you want. Love it. Which is a track of Clarity. Uh, so I think that album was like early two thousands, wasn't it? Was it two thousand maybe? Um, it's a great album. Like sort of old school emo. I think it probably captures a lot of the energy that I really loved about this music that we were playing at the time, but also had that kind of side of, of sort of melody and songwriting sensibility, which is something I always really appreciated in them and Idlewild and bands like that as well. well don't bother going through your emotions Nothing that makes sense ever works out yourself, you know, they want money. Well, nothing can be good on its own. Just a merit spinning and spinning. 
we saw them in the Ulster Hall. And Element supporting? Yeah, Element yeah. were supporting them. Element were really good that night. But the sound for Jimmy World, for some reason, I actually was talking about that today with someone. The sound for some reason that night was terrible. Yeah, it was like awful. It was really sound. bad. Um, and I remember being deeply disappointed. Oh, no. But not necessarily even by the band's performance, but just by. Like, because you're playing in bands and you're like, you're listening out for a guitar riff or something, mm. you just can't hear it. You can see him, you can see him playing it, but you just yeah, you can't could hear say it. there was no clarity to their song. Oh, oh. that was <laughs> low. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Adam, after after that great pun, um, tell tell us what were you up to then in the sort of interim period? You were rocking away with Coda. Coda was yeah, Coda was fairly relentless. It it ended a bit more. Um, Explosively, than remains of <laughs> I'll say that much. I, I won't go into it in too much detail. Like uh, literally, like a Vin Diesel. There was just there was just some sort of uh, disagreements within the band. But um, no, me and the funny thing is, I suppose during my twenties, I sort of flitted between different bands. But Scotty Gareth Scott was a f- feature in, in every band mm. that I was pretty much in. So um, I, I, I had a stint in Stereo War Favorites. For a while, which was good fun, um, and was had a sort of drunken punk band with um, burn the canvas for a couple of years as well. So, but I never it, to me every band that I did, you know, as, as great fun as it was, there was always that <laughs> remains of shaped hole. I did never really got the same satisfaction from the other music as I was playing as I would have done with remains of stuff. And I think it's because with remains of stuff, it was my you know, I was playing guitar and singing and I was playing a huge part in the songwriting. Whereas yeah. when the other bands, it wasn't so much of that. It was me either just singing or playing guitar and doing backing vocals and things like that. So I always missed being that more of a plan, more of an important part in the actual songwriting process. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that sort of rule change because I, it remains of you as sort of that sort of dual front man yeah. kind of vibe. And you obviously moving to different bands you don't really get unless they're obviously formed like that from from scratch like that's quite a uh, a specific role being sort of the dual throwback and forth yeah. songwriter front man then to join a band and play guitar like uh what is your then yeah, going in, get into it, that feeling i think it was good for me because with coda it was a development guitar playing mm-hmm. and i could focus on that and just have fun Whereas then the bands I did after that, I was pretty much just singing. And I, I I really, really enjoyed just being on stage with a microphone, just rocking out and singing. And again, I think especially with Stereo War Favourites, it made me a much better singer. Just it was pushing my voice to, to do things that I hadn't maybe done before. Um, so, so I think it was good, but it, it, it always felt like I was outside my, my comfort zone. Um, but... And did you develop any mic tricks along the way? Which just is quite important post-hardcore. You know, I always wanted to be like Daryl Plumbo from Glassjaw in the way he, he sort of wrapped himself up in his mic, but I could I never pull remember it off. you being like that. Yeah. I could never pull it off. I remember one time I tried, with Burn the Canvas, I tried to do a, a mic swing in Lavery's and the mic came off and flew, <laughs> literally flew across the room. And Mac was raging. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, man. Shout yeah. out to Mac. Shout yeah. out to Mac. Yeah, absolutely. Adam, what is your track that you've chosen? For us uh, my track is the Appleseed Cast. It's actually one of their newer songs, um, "Cathedral Rings," which is off their last album. But they've been a massive part in my life since I was about 16, 17. So I guess about half of my life has been spent listening to these guys, and I think they've just shown a real progression in their sound from sort of a noisy post-hardcore emo band in the early days to 
what a lot of people now hail them as uh, America's answer to Radiohead because they experiment mm. uh, for sounds. There's electronics in there. There's a lot of post-rock soundscapes and things like that. So I think they're a really interesting band and every album they've released is, is so different. And I think they're still influencing me, you know, 12, 13 years later, which I think is, is pretty special. A little taste of Cathedral Rings by the Appleseed cast. Adam Sherlow's choice pick of uh, one of his influences. I am with Remains of Youth. Well, brackets, the close brackets, Remains of Youth. <laughs> the recently reformed Remains of Youth. You are listening to The Jewel Case with John Darcy. And uh, I'm, I'm moving, I'm rotating around the room. I'm rotating my gaze. And my gaze has just landed on Andy Melville. So Andy... We're sort of t- picking up on where everyone was in this sort of downtime when Remains of Youth were not active. Yeah, you were in a couple of different bands. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I, th- I think I I went pretty much into Before Machines quickly after that, and that's basically where <laughs> I played most of my music in that time. Um, I just remember really when when, when Remains of Youth came to a close, I had a real itch to be making music again with people and playing on stage and um i think i just, I just trolled through fast food to see like who's about and there's it was, it was uh daniel black put up a, a post and listed a load of bands you like said like my bass system belfast i'm really tired of not being in a band <laughs> i really want to make music and then this contact him turned out he's a year above me in uni at music tech and um yeah and then uh, I had a really good friend, Daniel Larkin, who's playing drums as well. And um, he hadn't been in a band before. And I just like got in contact. Let's, we should meet up and see what happens. And uh, a year later, Chris basically showed up to me at the end of a show and said, I have to be in your band. You need, <laughs> sorry, you need me in your band. And I, was just, I just nodded and it's like, yes. I shouldn't have, this was the second time that I tried it because I tried it about a year previous and said, I, I, do you need another guitar player in your band? And he's like, no. <laughs> I can't remember. No, man. Oh, I was no. in Customized Square here at the oh, Sonic and I saw you. What was I uh, thinking? I don't know. But then a year later, I was like, you need me. <laughs> and that worked out. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, imagine, oh, imagine forming a band in real life. 
uh, actually talking about it and like just meeting someone and telling them I'm going to be in your band instead of like fast food or or listings and things. So I rewind for our listeners probably who don't know what fast food is. Can you explain that <laughs> I, I think cosmic actually, soup that was fast food? Chris has probably got the best. I think I was best like at, at one of the top 10 posters at one point. It was the, the epicenter of all the Northern Irish uh, music scene drama. And uh, places where people were selling their equipment as well, and it is it is very much missed. It was, it was, yeah. just a, it was an online forum. Should yeah, probably, sorry, should probably oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An online forum <laughs> with quite quite uh, basic HTML, black and white feel. Um, lots of sort of gags, of people slagging off each other, but also people starting bands, people selling gear. Sort yeah, of like, gossip column of Northern Irish music. Yeah, scene. it was kind of nice. I mean, it was it was it was a place where I guess people would go. And, you know, after a gig, sometimes they'd write up about it. You know, it was, there was a discussion before and after a gig, I suppose, yeah. which yeah. is, was mm. close. you know, which was one of the things that I really liked about it that I don't see anywhere else on the Internet, I suppose. I suppose Twitter is kind of taking its place in a very granular, kind of very spread out way. Yeah, because you could go to fast food and you would catch up because you'd seen what was recent and what you hadn't seen. Sort That's of. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I kind of I, I miss it, and also kind of think it was a terrible thing, and it's <laughs> I'm just glad that it's gone. <laughs> someone, um, I'm surprised someone hasn't set up like a fast food page on Facebook or a group to try and rein, reinvigorate that conversation. <laughs> you know, actually, there, there's there's a forum that I used to be a member of, and I know it's kind of sprawled out of control and the people who started it have all started a Facebook group as like a support group for each other just sends it <laughs> and it's just a it's just a forum about like Fender guitars and they just send each other photographs now it's replaced it so maybe we do need to do that with fast food <laughs> so sorry I totally totally derailed the conversation there but um before machines yeah we're actually one of the the, the best local bands for a, a couple of years uh, past don't exist anymore but nope. talk us quickly through the before machines uh, journey because I was a, yeah. I was my, I have like two t-shirts maybe three t-shirts actually <laughs> and a single and album yeah um, yeah I suppose we're we're about there for about for six seven years in the end um, and um, yeah we like I suppose in the early days we um, there was uh, before Chris joined it was just the three three of us like um, in the mainly in the rehearsal room just like refining our sound trying to work trying to get a good set of songs together we played a few shows before before um we begged chris to join and <laughs> and it, it got so much better from that point onwards um and uh yeah we did we did a lot of good things a lot of things that i'd always want to do and like i think uh remains a youth sort of unfortunately just like hit, hit a wee peak and then just out of nowhere sort of petered off a, a cliff edge or something like that and it felt like the things we did before machines like um uh like get like doing putting a few tours together and stuff and playing a, a string of great shows and playing further afield it's like what, what um i always envisaged envisaged would happen with remains of youth um Maybe one day still still could happen. Who knows? Ironically, three of us probably had those experiences with Before Machines, so it was funny. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. uh, in in the end, like we did one tour with Before Machines, um, with Chris, of course. But then the next tour we put together, you just got a, a like a really great job offer, like weeks before we were about to go. I, I asked my I asked my manager um, if I could go on tour the day that the venue that I was working for opened, <laughs> and he said he said no. Can I go here. away for a month? <laughs> <laughs> the month that we opened. Unsurprisingly, no. So we we turned. 
I turned to, to Michael and said, like, uh, any chance you could learn uh, Chris's parts in four weeks and we'll go on tour? <laughs> and, um, like, I don't know. I don't think even think I could learn Chris's guitar parts well, in I four sent, weeks. I sent, I sent Handy all these really intense videos of me playing, like staring at the camera. And <laughs> it was intense. <laughs> I actually still have some of my computer. So not t- like you didn't tab it out. You just no, like no, no, straight no. video. I literally just yeah. uh, got the, put the video up and played along to the tracks and showed him what I was doing. <laughs> and he amazing. did a, He did a great job. He did a great job. Yeah, absolutely. But it was good because I had always wanted to do that sort of thing with Remains Youth. You know, pl- be able to play shows and do a bit of turn and. Um, Maybe we'll get to do it eventually now, but it was cool to, to to keep playing with Andy and stuff the last couple, you know, even when we weren't doing all our stuff with Remains Youth in that period. So, whereas like for me, it was a little bittersweet, I suppose, because to get the band to that point, you know, and I know you like you, Andy worked really hard to put the tour together and all this kind of to get the band to the point where we could actually do that, and then to not be able to go was kind of Aww. a little hard for me, you know. But it was it was worth it to see you guys going and and having a good time and enjoying it. Well, I have a particular Before Machines track that I'm very fond of and uh, it's actually you know it's it's on the t-shirt that I have uh, it's called Runaway and uh, I'm, I'm actually just going to play this one in full because it's one of my favorite songs ever really amazing chorus I'll not like big it up anymore this is Runaway by Before Machines I have petitioned for more time and so flippantly I'll make my claim that I'm dependable still terrified that I have for it I have endeavoured oh so tirelessly it is tomorrow the day that I'm dependable to increase my grace but that's not what's
So that was Runaway by Before Machines. You're listening to The Jewel Case with me, John Darcy. I'm joined by the reformed Remains of Youth. We're talking through what everyone was up to in sort of downtime when Remains of Youth sort of like ceased to exist for a little bit. And uh, Andy Melville's telling us about Before Machines, which was your sort of your main musical project in that period. And that version of Runaway is the album version, which we were just, as as we, I was playing that, we were trying to work out, was there much difference between the single version and the album version? But we think it's just a remix, maybe? Yeah, it was just a, it was just a remix. Um, we didn't quite have the budget to, we really wanted to retrack it, but it just, um, it wasn't quite feasible. And um, Rocky remixed it the better end of the into the um, greater context of the album but um, I really wasn't expecting you to uh, play before Machine Song but, um, <laughs> but it's, 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 quite, it's quite interesting because of, like, I've always sort of seen um, my writing in Before Machines as an extension um, right off the back of what I was doing with Remains of Youth and the direction where I was going as a, song, as like a, a songwriter at that point you know, before machines, I suppose, started happening within months of Remains of Youth ending, and the there's a there's a real overlap there. Well, I think I, I that was kind of what drew me to before machines when I the first time I saw you guys was that waterfront gig where you played in the the glass bit of the waterfront when they were running those yeah. shows there, and I and I got the same feeling that I got when I first saw Remains of Youth, where you were doing this kind of music that resonated so deeply within me that I needed to be part of it, and that's kind of. What drew me to it, I suppose. And at this stage, the, the album was recorded and produced by Rocky O'Reilly at Start Together Studios. And Chris, you're wearing a Start Together Studios t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Mind blowing at the minute. <laughs> Chris McCory, you're the blow-in of the band. Well, although you did play a couple of shows back in the early days, but you're now um you're now the permanent fixed position as, yes, as bassist no. in, in Remains of Youth. Yeah. How is that transition from going to fanboy to bandboy? <laughs> I still am dreaming in my mind. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I mean um, it's it's been great. I, I kind of I guess I always felt like part of the extended family of 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 Remains Youth and and being so closely creatively involved with Andy. I suppose over the years it, it felt like a natural thing, you know, because I, I guess like Scotty's off doing other stuff. He's not really available for it. Um, so I'm having to try to play his bass lines, which are very intricate. Um, but it feels it feels great. And we also we started to record some some new stuff. We started to write some new stuff, um, which felt great. Like we went up to um, went up to the north coast in when was it February or March time, mm. and we just set up in a in a room for a weekend. And we we went through some ideas and we we wrote songs when we thought nothing was coming. Just songs kind of appeared and um, kind of prepared to do this EP, which we've kind of come up with now. Mm. So the EP is some older tracks that have been re kind of worked a little bit. Some have been re-recorded, some have been completely redone. One new track and then a, a new spoken word track as well. How has it, we'll sort of maybe open it up, although Andy, I've just realized we didn't even play your song. I, I just like got carried away with Before <laughs> Machines chat. Do you want, do you want to, do you want to, do you want to share us your, your individual personal pick of musical influence? Yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose we a wee like uh, anecdote comes along with yeah. choosing this track because there's so many songs that um, were on my mind. But um, I distinctly remember it's one of those those moments when you when you hear something new and your mind's just blown and you know it's just going to change the course of the way you think about and play music. And I think we're, I was about 14 or 15 at the time, and it's just it was a Saturday afternoon before Remains Youth rehearsal. I was watching MTV Two. 
Does that still exist? No. Yes. No. Uh, no, I don't think it's M3 Rocks maybe, is it? All right, well, <laughs> the predecessor to M3 Rocks, M3 2, um, was showing like a, a live performance from the Anime Awards. Mm. Does that still exist? Yeah, it does. I think it does, um, yeah. But it's free. <laughs> and at the drive-in, we're playing at it, and it just uh, went on to at the drive-in's like, live performance of this song, Cosmonauts. First time I'd ever heard at the drive-in and saw them at the same time. It was just, um, yeah, this made such an impression on me. I just knew, like, I, I want to play, find out how they make music and play music, and I want to do that. <laughs> And Chris, I've just also realized that I forgot to play your uh, personal favorite track too. My personal track is uh, All Hands on the Bad One by Slater Kinney from the uh, album of the same name. Um, it was a band that I kind of got into around the period that Remains of Youth would have been around. And I was playing in Coda and we got the chance to support them. And it was mm. one of the greatest shows I've seen. They were absolutely wonderful. Like even, I think even at the night, like, like Corin's voice was a bit sore and they kind of were a bit, you know, they, they broke up fairly shortly after they were a bit tired, but I was just so blown away by the power of it. Yeah. It was one of the loudest gigs I've ever seen. They were incredibly loud. It was an incredible performance. I was actually unfamiliar with Cedar Kinney's material. And I came into that gig as a, basically to see Coda play as a support band and stuck around to see Cedar (laughs) Kinney and was blown away by them. They were, they were unbelievable that night. taste of Slater Kinney that track was all hands on the bad one and uh, you know Slater Kinney recently you know reunited and bringing out some new material and uh, just echoing that the remains of you <laughs> recently <laughs> reunited on there bringing out some new material yeah, Adam's taking time away from uh, his successful TV show to uh, <laughs> join the band <laughs> that was a joke about uh, Carrie from Slater Kinney 
in case you were uh, wondering. That's lost. <laughs> that was completely <laughs> lost. That. that just Port, went over everybody. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Portlandia. Oh, yeah. right. Okay. So we caught up with everybody. What are you up to now? What What is it like after that big hiatus getting all back into a room? Well, the room is like a crash. But, <laughs> but the toys are drum kit and guitar amps and guitar. I think for me, um, the best thing is, you know, we'd had a number of practices where we were going over old material and that was, you know, that was great. We were getting familiar with old songs again. And it was, again, going back to the weekend we spent down at the North Coast, just getting back up to speed with our stuff. We went out for dinner that night um, and came back to the, the apartment at about 11, half 11. And that was when we wrote the new song off the, the EP, the lead track, There's Hope Without Progress. And it just seemed to flow so seamlessly without, it was just a strange experience. I mean, and, and it seemed like it was about half an hour, 45 minutes that we wrote the, the entire song collectively as a mm. four piece with just bouncing ideas off each other. I had a riff that I'd been actually been thinking about during the dinner and I was really keen to get back. So I was like, guys, I, th- I think this could work. And then it just flowed even. Mm. And then Chris, you know, being such a new member to the band was throwing his ideas in as well. And the end of the track you'll, you'll hear is, uh, um, you know, when it comes out of a second chorus, it's a real like bass driven part. And it's just, I just remember feeling for me excited again that, you know, that clearly there were ideas there and that we could write what I think is one of our best songs. Yeah, we kind of we got we got back to the the house and you know we'd ha- we'd had a couple of glasses of wine and we just picked up the instruments and oh, we'll, we'll, we'll put another half hour and we'll kind of just go through some stuff and then yeah it was just like firing ideas off each other so rapid fire and yeah like in the over the course of about an hour the whole thing came yeah. together you know the other thing that we worked on as well when we were doing this new thing when we were re- revisiting the older material there was a track which used to be called alcohol that we well Adam completely rewrote the lyrics for that because it felt different now because the things that well I suppose you, you should be speaking well, about for this me, alcohol was written when I was 16 or 17 years old and you know it was a real emo song it was really me wearing my heart on my sleeve um, and yeah I guess a teenager discovering alcohol for the first time discovering you know relationships and things for the first time I, I found it really I wanted to do the song on the EP I think we all really wanted to do the song but for me I couldn't sing the same lyrics that I'd sang, you know, 12, 13 years ago. So at one point we were just going to leave the song because I was so adamant that I couldn't get behind the the mic and then sing those words again. And then I just decided to rewrite it from the viewpoint of, you know, someone who's about to turn 30 years old, looking back on himself at the age of 17, 18, seeing what had changed and maybe for the most part what actually hadn't changed. And I, what I did with the lyrics was, you know, many of the, the lyrics have been completely rewritten, but I kept some key lines, which 
to me maybe resonated more with me now than they than they did when I was seventeen. And I actually find I came out of that process of rewriting those lyrics thinking, you know, not much has actually changed and and for me personally in those twelve, thirteen years. What's that song called now? Um, we decided not to call it alcohol and we went with Persuasions of a Kind. So that was Persuasions of a Kind from Remains of Youth from the new EP, There Is Hope Without Progress. And Adam, you're talking about how that song now with the rewritten lyrics is about looking back and seeing what sort of has changed about life in that sort of maybe over 10 year period between the, the original song and the new version of the song. And in a way, the band sort of, I guess, playing playing the old songs now, it must be a constant sort of course of reflection and self-reflection for you guys you've sort of been apart and been in each other's lives in different ways and now come together. How, how do those relationships play out now, being more mature now and knowing more about yourselves as people and as musicians? Good question. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been interesting to, to do, to get back together and, and to be writing again and recording some stuff because in, in many ways, it doesn't feel like much has changed. The dynamic is kind of still the same. We're all still good friends and we still have a good time together and remember old stories and old jokes which come back very quickly. But um, in other ways, yeah, there's been a huge amount has happened in between since we stopped and have now restarted again. Uh, different bands, different musical projects and also different things in personal lives that have gone on, uh, both good and bad. So I think a large part of it when we got back together, even looking at it lyrically and everything, was about probably a process of reflecting not even not really just on where the band had been but just on where we had been like at the time when we were writing some of that stuff and how much had changed for us as people individually and as a band in the last in that sort of period so there was a lot of probably like that probably comes across lyrically in some of the stuff like a lot of self-reflection and um asking questions i suppose about like where we are now and what is the outlook now for the band you're playing the thinner throwdown on Tuesday, what's the date of it? Again? Tuesday the eleventh. Tuesday the eleventh of October, and that's actually a free show that people can go, people can go to. That's in Lavery's in Belfast, in the sort of the back bar bit. Um, this is actually a really nice sort of series of gigs at Thinner are uh, sort of putting on. They had Bloody Gold there a couple of weeks ago. Had people like Hot Cops and like all the good bands. So I guess that's how you've ended up playing <laughs> that. And is this their first gig back together? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Wow, nine years, I think. I'm really nine excited years. about it. I think it's going to be exactly the right environment for us to come back to be like noisy and sweaty and 
for everybody to be right in our faces and for us to be right in theirs, I think it's exactly the right thing to do. Do you think people will turn up in their old Remains of Youth t-shirt? Was there old Remains of Youth? Because I don't have one. I'm wondering, did they actually I exist? I don't think we ever made, Did we no. ever make t-shirts? No. I don't think Never. so. Really Never. bad on the merch front, I think. Will, will now maybe you have a bit more like experience with the other bands. Maybe you'll bring that to the table with the, literally the merch table with Remains of Youth. <laughs> yeah, there, there actually have been. We've already been kind of talking about that kind of stuff. It hasn't materialized yet. Oh, you know what? I want a t-shirt. The in brackets. <laughs> but I think it's interesting, like thinking about, because, you know, obviously like, you know, not everybody knows Remains of Youth, but there are a select group of people who really cared about the band yeah, back then. And that absolutely. was that was definitely a consideration when talking about doing this again, messing with old songs, you know, changing that up. It was definitely something to consider. So it'll be exciting to see what those people think. And mm. I think also this is the last time, the first time that I've played with the band since we played The Hoot and Down Patrick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which the no Hoot. longer exists. I don't, I don't yeah. No, no. Yeah. And the entrance to the toilet was through the stage. Uh, that was what I remember. <laughs> <laughs> so people would we'd play our songs and Andy and I would be doing our best hardcore moves and then people would scurry in and out in between songs. Speaking of Down Patrick and The Hoot, Acetone, that was one of the other bands from Acetone. the front page. Yeah. Yeah. Acetone, Acetone was running the gig. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the guys from Acetone. Well, we, we, I guess the first round the first go round with the band was that early sort of digital internet space for bands that upload their music on MySpace but that was kind of pre-band camp and pre the time of bands putting their local independently produced music on things like Spotify and iTunes Spotify just didn't exist then is there like potential for putting the band's old back catalogue up on something like a band camp? This is something a couple of bands have been doing recently. And actually, you know, a, a lot of the Discord discography is mm. now online for people mm. to get and dig into. You have the album, the, the, the original full length album, but also that number of EPs that are floating about. I think we'd draw the line at some point. I think we'd have to, <laughs> yeah. have to uh, I don't know if we want to, if we want to stick out some of the EPs from, you know, back when we were 13, we give it, 14. We give it like but, a secret a secret band you know, another band page just to have it up there because one thing I'm scared of I think we've come close to like losing everything we, we can all say ourselves there's certain stuff yeah. we don't have anymore oh, I like, yeah, we, like, we've yeah, managed to track it things. Yeah. we've managed to track it down other friends have kept on it um, so in a way I'd be kind of like I would like it to be somewhere I would like sure yeah. bet that like you can find it you can yeah. find maybe it maybe just like a wee private Dropbox or something that yeah. you can tell my, people yeah. at shows yeah. my <laughs> copy of the album stops working at track 6 so I haven't heard <gasps> the last is, three songs this is in about <laughs> 6 years we were talking about you know when you said you had it like John was saying that he had a physical copy of the album and, and I have a CDR copy of it that I found and it's, I don't think any others exist. Uh, <laughs> you know? There's not many, yeah. I, I had like three copies of it which I lost in like a university house move, I think, yeah. like oh, seven no, or eight no, years ago. I mean, I do say that, but every time I move house, I find 200 more before my team's <laughs> albums. <laughs> so, you know, it's fine to be there somewhere. <laughs> I think I have a dinner before my Will there be a physical release of the new EP or is it going to be sort of digital only type affair? We've, we've been talking about uh, putting out maybe... Uh, a single on, on, on vinyl maybe we've been looking at that but we haven't uh, we were working on something there which maybe hasn't quite materialised over the last couple of months so that's still a possibility we're going to see how it goes over the next few weeks with some shows and go from there well the EP launch is at the Thinner Throwdown at Lavery's Belfast on Tuesday the 11th of October do you know what time you'll be on stage? 10.30 10.30 yeah 10.30 because you know fast food's not there for me to check this <laughs> <a serious> time <laughs> 
Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure, but I have to leave you because you have a gig to rehearse for. Uh, you're halfway set up and then I interrupted with all my microphones. I'm really looking forward to the show and getting sort of my nostalgia back. I'll maybe bring my old CD and get it signed by the <laughs> band. <laughs> so uh, Chris McCory, Hendy, Adam and Andy, thank you, Remains of Youth, uh, brackets, the, and I'll see you on Tuesday in Lafferty's. Thanks very much. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks John. Cheers, John. I wake up out and to the sound of a new day Now the war Embrace the strains It's all so evident Of the lies that you choose to ignore For so weak